us to go to Isaiah 61, first of all. Isaiah, prophet Isaiah chapter 61. And uh, if I I get going too fast, you can just write the scripture reference and let me read it. But I, I think we need to get a hold of this. This is such an important message, blood covenant. I'm not going to retrace everything we've already said. We're going to start right here. We'll, we'll look at a couple of scriptures we've talked about before for emphasis tonight and then move ahead says Isaiah 61 10 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord and we need to start practicing that I will greatly rejoice in the Lord it doesn't say in church only I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul my my, my mind my will my emotion shall be joyful in my God for he notice that he hath clothed me with the garments plural of salvation, and he hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. So we're going to talk tonight about these garments that he has provided. See, it's his provision. Remember, remember, let's go back here, let's go back here to First Samuel a minute. You remember this, I'm sure you do. We've talked about it three or four times, First Samuel eighteen. And we're just looking at this because it, it's, it's got some things spelled out, First Samuel 18, 1 through 4, about Jonathan and David. And you, you should go back and reread it and meditate on it a little bit. You've got to understand the significance of what's going on here. We mentioned Sunday night, I will repeat this, that not every time we look at a covenant uh, situation is it listed all the steps of the covenant. You know, some, some say there's eight, some say there's nine. Again, I don't care if there's 27 or 14 or three. The significance of the covenant is what we want to embrace, that we are covenant people. You're, you're not anything other than that. When you get to heaven, the only thing that's going to get you in is your faith in the blood of Jesus. That's it. You can say, well, I'm a this, I'm a that. That's not too impressive, really. Now, it is impressive that we know the word, but, again, it's the word of the covenant. Has nothing to do with denominationalism. <laughs> it certainly doesn't have to do with the dramatic anything. It has to do with being a word person. That's a person that has faith in the words of the covenant. When anything comes up in your life, if your body tries to malfunction, you should say, "Well, well wait a minute. Now I'm a covenant man. What did my covenant partner say? He do about that? What does the word of the covenant say about my body? How do I tap into that? Well, you're going to have to mix faith with it." But you're going to have to realize the provision's already there. Already there. You might have pressures at times, at different times, against your mind. You might have pressures against your marriage. You might have pressures against your finances. You might have pressures against your body or all the above. But there's a provision for soundness in your spirit, your soul, your body, your family. I'm going to read this again. This is, there's something in this that we've got to get a hold to here. It says, I'm going to rejoice for the garments that my heavenly Father will greatly rejoice and my soul be joyful in what he's provided for me to put on of these garments. Nobody's going to dress yourself for you. You're going to have to, get, you're going to, have to take a hold to it. You know, I don't have time right now, but Isaiah 56, it talks about different things there twice in that little chapter. It says, and those who will take hold of my covenant. So you've got, to, you've got to take hold of it. Well, if you don't know it, you couldn't take hold of it. You can't believe what you don't have knowledge of. 
was so appreciative of the Spirit of God. Uh, somebody I called the other day, it might have been yesterday, and they said, you know, Pastor, I grew up in a church and they denominate. I never heard covenant teaching. We never Covenant? Never brought it up. And even if some people do bring it up, they don't know what they're talking about. It's a very shallow covenant. I want to get to heaven, praise God, in the sweet by and by. And they fill up Freedom Hall to sing that. Make a lot of money singing it. People crying, filling hankies with snot and tears. And we're not making fun if that moves you fine. But get beyond letting that move you. And like Jesus told us, drink all of it. All of it. I'm ate up with it. I, mean, I just eat, sleep, breathe it. I mean, if I shed a tear, it's a covenant tear. If I blow my nose, it's covenant snot. Pretty gross, but pretty real to me right now. I'll just stop with that. Verse 1, that it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was met with the soul of David. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, that is a covenant mentality. Loving somebody as your own soul. Of course, we're told in the New Testament to love our wife as our own bodies. But this talk about a broader uh, spectrum of that mentality that we're to love one another, uh, you know, as our own soul. Put one another first. Hallelujah. Man, what a church would be that did that. What a, what a group of people could be that do that. All the problems in every country. I don't care where you're from, what your culture is, or where you think you came from. All the, all the goof-ups and the screw-ups and the problem is because of that lack of that right there. Somebody's trying to get your money, get your woman, get your property, get your... Oh, take advantage of you <laughs> for their benefit. This is just the reverse. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And Saul took him that day. This is the king of the nation. See, you've got to understand what we're talking about here. Saul took him that day and would not let him go anymore home to his father's house. He's going to live at the king's house. He's going to live around the king. He's going to live around that affluence. He's going to live around that dominion. He's going to live around that strength. He's going to live around that uh, uh, wealth. He's going to live around that abundance. Oh, my gosh. Jonathan and David, verse 3, made a covenant because... Again, he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan, this, this, this so marks me every time I read this, why I keep coming back to it. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him. You have to get that in your spirit. This is a sacred moment. This is a sacred moment when two men facing each other and, and, and there's been blood shed over this covenant. And the other one doesn't reach out to strip the other one of what he wants. The person that goes first gives the person that he is in covenant with his abilities, his standing in life, his identification with the coat of a prince. Because Jonathan went first and said, you know, Jonathan stripped himself first. And David did the same. That he didn't have, you know, his shepherd's coat probably smelled like sheep. You know, if you go to if you go to one of the taco places local or they do those fajitas, you smell like you know, whatever that smells like, I won't mention, but it smells like not so good, gets in your clothes. And he's been around sheep, so, but see, it's a sacred moment. You've got to picture that happening. See, it's so far removed from our culture. People don't meet.
mean what they say or say what they mean anymore. No wonder stuff doesn't work for us. When we're so flippant and casual and, and never keep our word, can't even be to church on time, can't even be attending, you know, if that's the case. Pretty serious stuff. And this prince, as Jonathan takes his coat off, saying, I'm giving you all that I am. I'm giving you everything I represent. Not only that, he strips himself of his armaments, his girdle is just a big, thick belt that had, uh, you know, put his small shield on. You couldn't put the big ones on. They had a big shield and a small shield. Usually in that day, a body shield and a small one you fought with hand-to-hand combat. Both are called shields. One called a buckler, usually the smaller one. You put your hand behind it like that. And, and, and then the other weaponry you might have on you, David had a sling. That's his proficient weapon. But see, now Jonathan evidently maybe wasn't proficient, but here you've got a covenant brother. He's able to pick up just an old rock, just something you step over in the driveway and knock somebody in the head and kill them. That's a pretty significant fighter, I'd say. <laughs> he took his bow off. He took his armaments off and said, I will defend you to the death. If anybody comes against you, I will be against them. And you remember God said, somebody's your enemy, you're in covenant with me, and they're my enemy. Oh, my God. I know we don't see that yet because God's not the heavy. But on the other hand, he is covenant. And if you mess around with his covenant people that are walking in a level of covenant with integrity towards him, he will defend you. Oh, my goodness. What men say may be what God says he is. <laughs> He's called Lord of Hosts. That's because he's got a lot of armies behind him, heavenly creatures. Hallelujah. One of which killed 185,000 men in one night. Even David's mighty men, he did that a handful compared to some of the other armies. One of his guys walking in covenant killed 800 men in one day, I think. It's amazing, amazing feats. When they were in covenant, even all the nation of Israel, when they got in covenant, it wasn't a nation could stand against them. You ever wonder why Israel, a little old piece of geography in the Middle East, they got Iran, Iraq, oh my gosh, what is that, Lebanon heads, Syria, Iraq, Iran. I'd like to say something about Saudi Arabia, but I'm going to hold my peace. Anyway, praise the Lord. And Russia and all the rest of them, and none of them going to take them out. I'm telling you, they're going to get their boots behind him and kick royally. That seven-day war, the Egyptians, they were coming up over the Sinai Desert and multitude of tanks, hundreds of tanks coming. The ground was vibrating, the Israelis said. They were right on the other side of the ridge, just a small group of them. And these tanks were coming up, and they were armed, and they were ready to do destruction to Jerusalem, and the ground was shaken with the power of those tanks. And all of a sudden, they shut all their engines up, stood up on their tank, put their hands up, and surrendered. The Israelis come up, took them captive. They said, what in the world did you do that for? They said, well, we saw his army. <laughs> and we knew we couldn't stand against him. Hallelujah. All kinds of stuff you won't hear on CNN, probably not Fox either. <laughs> Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David, his garments, even to his sword and his bow, and to his girdle. 
So here we see somebody give it. And this is what I want you to see. You know, in the context here, we got a prince and a sheep herder. Of course, he's a, he's a prophet, prince, and a king, but he's not that yet. Not, not in reality. I mean, not in manifestation. Let me say it that way. He's in the making. But see, God, this is what I want you to see. When you got in covenant with God, God gave us the garments that he's provided for us. I'm going to go into some of that with you in just a minute. But let me go one more place with you. Look at Esther again. Remember her? We talked about this the other day. I want to go back over here. This is so significant. Esther's right before Job. You get the Psalms, take a left, go past Job, come back to Esther chapter 4. And uh, we're not interested in all the history here, but we're interested in the concept that Mordecai, being a Hebrew, and Esther, and the king there was going to annihilate the Jews. You know, there's always somebody going to annihilate somebody. (laughs) That's what I just told you. All those nations around Israel, and they seem like they all hate them. They just keep on moving. They just keep on living. They keep on, you know. Hallelujah. It's exciting times to live live in. And, uh, see, I I saw, uh, I don't know his name. You guys probably know better how to say it. Nahiyahu or whatever his name is, Benjamin, Prime Minister. I saw him on Larry King yesterday, the day before. And they captured, they kidnapped one of their soldiers. I think it was Hamas or one of those terrorist groups over there. Palestinians or somebody. I don't know. They're always fighting. They just fight, 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 fight. And uh, he said, I've already agreed with them to, to, to let a hundred of their men that we've captured in prison. We'll trade a hundred men for that soldier. And then when he's thinking, my God, you people got more covenant than most of the church do. That's, all, that's what made me think of that. See, if you're thinking naturally, you'd think he's weak. But see, that said to me, my, my value on that one soldier, though not some general among us, just looked like a young kid had a picture of him. I've already told him and agreed to, I've released a hundred of their prisoners that we have to release them back to them unharmed if they would agree to it. See, that, see that's covenant. you try to strike Israel, we're going to kick you to the side. But see, see he's, he said, we can have peace if they'll go with us here. So he's, he's attempting, and God bless people who attempt to have peace. But if you won't have peace, like Pharaoh, he wasn't going to have peace. Let my people go. Please, let my people go. I'm not going to do it. Well, okay then. Let them have my staff. Here comes the first plague. Yeah, I went back and that is really interesting. Anyway, we better get on with this today. And what, what, what was the significance of the staff and Moses? He's covenant. He's covenant with God. Moses is in covenant with God. And he said he caused an east wind to blow, and that blew all the locusts in and one of those things in Exodus. I was reading it today. And the, and, and the sky was black. And what the hail hadn't destroyed, the locusts ate. Finally, Pharaoh said, okay, 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 I'm going to let you. Please pray for me. Just this one time. He's so full of himself. Just this one time. What an ignorant something of a man. 
Bibles is prayed, the Lord caused the west wind and removed it, removed those locusts off the ground. And I wrote back and read it again, and it said there was not one locust in all of Egypt. God, see, there ought not to be one thing left that you don't, that you can, whatever you have need of, everything that needs to be removed out of your way can be, not one locust left. This covenant's a lot thicker than you can think right now because I'm building something with the help of the Holy Ghost into your thinking. Now, don't go to work with the staff tomorrow trying to do some kind of a... But listen to what I'm saying. And you're going to have to learn to walk in this just like I do day by day by day and keep yourself in the covenant and keep yourself being covenant-minded. Well, what about my government? What about what about it? Keep yourself in this and keep yourself aware that you're in covenant with God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's given us every garment that we need to walk in our salvation, to walk in our healing, to walk in our deliverance, to walk freedom and answers and equipment and weaponry. I mean, just weaponry alone, you've got the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Spirit, the angels of God, praying in tongues, the Holy Ghost to help you. Oh, my God. I mean, just He alone is more than... Oh, my goodness. People trying to figure things out, spinning their wheels. So it says here in Esther 4, look at this. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, in other words, the, 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 the edict went out, the written thing had went out from the king to kill all the Jews on such and such a day. He rent his clothes, he, he ripped them, and he put on sackcloth and ashes, which is a sign of depression, mourning, grieving, sadness, and all the stuff that you could add on there, all the other adjectives or adverbs or whatever. And it says here, and he went about the Mississippi and cried with a loud and a bitter cry. And he came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And that's true of us. You know, sometimes we're trying to get to God, but we're coming in the wrong clothing. Isn't that right? I mean, you know, at least those people that got busted for going to the dinner at the White House, they were dressed up. I bet if they came in flip-flops and Hawaiian shirts, they would have got them at the gate. Like they just showed up from the beach somewhere. You know, we're going to... You'll catch that later. And in every province where they served the king's commandment, verse 3, and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews. Yeah, I guess so. And fasting and weeping and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains, the ladies who attended to her, came and told it her. I'm using Esther as a type of the church. Uh, then, she, then was the queen... Exceedingly grieved because, you know, she heard what was happening, but also that Mordecai, she sent raiment or clothing to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him. Get a hold of that. To take away his grieving from him, to take away the depression, to take away the sadness, to take away the sorrow, to take away the, all the junk that people deal with. We might call it oppression in our day. We might call it just wearing out our wheels in our day. What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? What are we going to do about that? And you can just get depressed. You can get discouraged. You can get distressed. You can, get, you can take medication. Or not, but you, you know, see, this, 
the church is endeavoring to give you clothing to say, you're a man of God tonight. God the Father has provided the garments, but I can't put them on you if you won't take it. And your excuse is, well, Pastor, you just don't understand. Well, the problem is you don't understand yet covenant, and you're definitely not taking hold of it. Now, if you don't know any of this, and this is all new to you, God will give you a grace period to catch up with some of us who do know something. But catch up, for goodness sake. Isn't that right? I mean, I don't know about everybody else. I just know about me. A lot of things I know, I don't tell anybody. Because they, you know, mess it around sometimes. But I, I know things are happening before they ever happen. Not everything, but a whole lot I know, and a whole lot more I don't say anything about. I just wait and see some I can pray, turn around some I know it's going to go that way no matter what I do. Because the other people aren't going to respond. I'm picking people up different things anyway. And part of that's because I have a covenant with God, and He said He'd show me things to come that I need to know about. So I'm not surprised. So I'm not caught unaware. Listen to what I'm, the man of God's telling you. If you'd catch up, and you can't catch up, well, Pastor, you just seem like that just throws a lot of stuff into me. Well, good, just keep eating it, keep putting it on. And pretty soon you're going to begin to do the same thing where you need to know what you need to know before it happens so you can either pray about it or forget about it, whatever.
You know, sometimes you're around certain people, at least I am out in the world, and they don't like me much, and I'm not too fond of them. And sometimes on TV, I'll say to my wife, I don't like that guy. And that girl right there in that car, I don't like her either. She's got a funny spirit about her, and he's got a weirdness about him. And I just flip them on off. I don't, I don't put hold it. Hallelujah. Yeah, you wouldn't know by the natural. They're the top of their field in whatever field that is. But I'm in Christ, and they're not. How do you know that? Well, I just told you. I know things that the Holy Ghost tells me. I'm not, I wish they'd get in Christ, because it sure help them. But, but, you know, talking about some things here. You, you, you got born again. You came out of whatever you used to be, and now you're in Him. You got in that covenant. Jesus and God is the one that made the covenant. Jesus was our representative, representing mankind. Once he did what he did, it qualified every human being forever that would accept what he did to get involved with God the Father as his as their father, just like Jesus is the son, we'd be a son too. And the Bible teaches us we're being conformed to the image of his son. That's the purpose. Hallelujah. I know you're shocked at some of this, but you know, Jesus doesn't have any better standing in heaven than you do. I don't know if you thought he did. You're, you're not thinking scripture. says we're seated with him, not beside him, not under him, not above him, but with him. Your Bible. you got to get a hold of that. That's some strong talking, you know, and if you never heard that before, you think, well, now, wait a minute. And somebody said, Pastor Jacob, you're just bringing Jesus down to our level. No, he did that of his own accord. I didn't ask him to come. I didn't have anything to do with it. Except I was one of those that joined before him when he died on the cross. I was on his mind. Let me sing it for you. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. You ever notice they all do that with their ear? But I didn't ask him to come. He came down of his own free will. And then people said, well, you just lifted yourself up to be with him. No, he did that too. I didn't ask him to do it. I would have been, I would have been happy just to go to heaven, but that's not what he did. He brought heaven to me. <laughs> now, now, therefore, now there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus who walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh.
sin. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians. We're right close by. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Let's look at this together. And, and you know, sometimes maybe, you know, people have assumed things that we, you know, I was in a church, a denominational church, and out of Romans 3, which is one of the greatest chapters on redemption in all the New Testament, they picked out one little verse. I bet you know it too if you went to a church like that. All the sin that comes short of the glory. Yeah, that's why I need Jesus. But the whole chapter is about receiving Jesus and being put into the glory and being redeemed from the curse of the law and becoming a new creature in Christ and having faith in his blood. See, you can see how people, see, we've taught so much sin and sin is something we need to avoid. But this is what I'm trying to share with you. There's a great exchange took place when you got in this covenant. You know, I, I tried to sing that song Sunday, and some of you tried to help me. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but really all you had to offer him was, at that point, nothing. You, did, you weren't just, you walk in in darkness, my friend, you were darkness. You weren't just serving the devil, you were connected to him. Me too. And we were all by nature, that's our inward man, uh, children of wrath and hooked up with the devil. So, I mean, you know, you think, but see, that's the whole story of the cross, and that's the story of redemption, and that's the story of the covenant. I'm not, I, now, listen to me carefully here. Quit saying you're just an old sinner saved by grace. I grew up in church that everybody said that in the foyer, in the parking lot, putting their cigarette butts out, you know, and everything else. Didn't know a, a thing about redemption. I don't think some of them could spell it, but much less understand it. I'm just an old sinner, saying my grace. Well, you were a sinner, we well, admit that. And you did get saved by grace, but you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because something took place in this covenant. And I want to say this again. I'm going to keep saying it until you, you wake up thinking it. It's not, you don't want what you deserve. You want what's being offered. <laughs> you don't want what you deserve. Quit thinking. You want what you deserve. You want what's being offered. And wise people receive it. Scriptural people receive it. That's that's what the Bible's all about, helping us receive our inheritance. In this I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord, not think about it. I'll see it. Well, how could you see it if you didn't accept it and receive it? You'll never see it. But that's why the promises of God are in here to help us understand what's available, what He's provided, His provision. Hallelujah. So I came to God. I was ashamed of my life. You were too. Even if you didn't live a lifestyle like I did, you still were not right. Because by nature you were connected to the devil, and certainly some of your activity and behavior spoke of that. Maybe you had a good education. I didn't, but you still weren't right with God. Maybe you had a little more money than I had, but you still weren't right. Maybe you were a little older than I was and thought you knew a little more. Maybe you knew a little more than natural because you get a little older. If you're half got upset, you learn a little something, but you still weren't right with God. So we all start on the same basis. 
we, we came, we're ashamed, we're, we're, we're undone, we're guilty. But see, that's what happened. I, I came and, and, and I, all I had to offer him was that. But he said, well, that's all right. Let me, let me make you a new creature. I'm not just going to cover up something and, like in the Old Testament, the blood covered them. I'm going to, I'm going to deal with your insides, Michael, and I'm going to make you something on the inside. I'm going to make your want-tos change. I'm going to make what, what used to be normal for you abnormal now, and I'm going to put me inside of you. I'm going to put eternal life inside of you. I'm going to recreate your insides and make you a new person. See, that's what bugged me. Even See, I didn't even know what I'm teaching you, but I knew something. Because my goofy friends that were all drug addicts like I was, and I was just as goofy. I was one of the leaders. And they would say, yeah, we heard you're going to church. I'd say, well, I did go to church, but the main thing is I got Jesus. Jesus is on the inside of me. They said, well, we heard you got religious. I said, I didn't get religious. I got saved. I got born again, boys. Oh, and they made fun of me and mocked me and tried to torment me, but they couldn't. All right, 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is one of the things that got exchanged. For he hath made him, God made Jesus to be sin for you and me. Say he's been made sin. Say he was made something. He didn't commit any sin, the Bible says, but he was made that for me on the cross. I don't have time tonight, but it says he laid, God laid on him. God, now listen, God laid on him. I know we get moved by the fact, you know, with the passion, Bill Gibson and all that kind of stuff. It's evident that guy needs some help. Made a good, made a kind of a good movie, but listen to me carefully here. It's carnal. <laughs> we think about, you know, the guy beating somebody with the stripes and all that. And I understand the significance of that, but the real issues are always spiritual, my friend. And if you don't see it, you'll never see it. That's why we're praying for enlightenment. Enlightenment into what? Into the mysteries of the covenant. The Roman people didn't do that. The Jews didn't do that. God laid on him. God became the high priest and laid hands on Jesus as the scapegoat and pronounced and laid on him the iniquities of us all and every sickness and every disease, every torment. And when it got done, he didn't even look like a man. Now, see, the natural eye, could bear, you couldn't tell that for all that was involved in it. You could tell this flesh was beaten up off and all that kind of stuff, but that's not the real issue per se. It's the fact that he became sin. He didn't commit sin. He became that for you and me. Whatever I had on me, remember, remember the garment? Look at all. Oh, I had the filthy garment. The Bible tells us in Isaiah, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Well, all that got laid on him, all the sin, all the shame, all, all the weirdness, all the oppression, all the mental stuff, all the emotional stuff, all the sicknesses man would ever know was laid on him. He took the whole of the curse. <laughs> oh, what a Savior. <laughs> it said he was made sin for us who knew no sin, that is, he didn't know any sin, but he was made to be that, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I was made that I'm not earning it. I'm still not earning it. 
I was made that way in Christ Jesus. Identify with the right things. He made you righteous. You know, this church didn't make you righteous. Your mama didn't make you righteous. Some preacher didn't make you righteous. God Almighty made you righteous. And, and the righteousness was had your name on it, that robe of righteousness that he's provided, had your name on it when you came to Jesus, somebody passed yours to you. You were supposed to put it on. But being in a church that says we're just old sinners saved by grace. Got a light? You know, we just got to live how we live down here. Just hell on earth. And out of beer? Let's go to the video store. Thanksgiving, you know. You've got relatives just like that want to tell you all that's right and criticize me and this church and church people that believe the Bible and don't have a clue of anything at all what they're talking about. You're talking about being a sinner. You can enjoy all you want. And you're, just, you're just destroying your righteousness in the sense that you're not walking in any of it. There was an exchange. Learn to get on the right side of this thing. Get your, get your robe off out of the closet with your name on it and put it on. It's made for you. And it makes you right with heaven. It gives you peace with God. It gives you an audience with God. You were once ashamed, afraid that, oh, if I go to God, I'm such a bad person. I did this, I did that, but brother and sister, I've been here. I know what I felt like. I know you could say amen too if you're honest. But now he says, hey, listen, you got that robe on. Just come on up to the throne of grace. And don't just come to hang around. Come to obtain mercy and don't just come. Just flippantly become unreservedly because you've got a place there. <laughs> oh, my, 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 my. Let's go to Romans chapter 4 a minute. Look at verse 25. I want to show you something here that's, oh my goodness. I, I don't, I just, I want to preach till midnight, but I know you. <laughs> We're talking tonight about our great blood covenant we have with Almighty God. It takes time to get it taught into people. It takes time for everybody to absorb it. I got saved in 1971, didn't know anything about it. I mean, you don't really know anything about it. I began to get glimpses by the Holy Ghost of what God really had done for me. Mainly when I got into some reading Brother Kenyon's books. And that was about, uh, oh, I don't know, right around 70, 70, uh, 76, somewhere along in there, and through 78. And then I went to a convention and heard Brother Copeland teach on this in 86 or 87. Man, oh man, I've never been the same since. Hallelujah. And he had a meeting in a hotel. I'm talking about Kenneth Copeland. So ministers only. And he brought us in there and there were three-hour sessions. No breaks. If you tried to go to the bathroom, he'd shout you down from the front. Now, you might think that sounds mean, but you just need to know what the real men of God are like. And somebody fell asleep. These were all preachers. They wake him up, and he said, "You need to leave. Go to go to your room. You can't stay awake under this kind of teaching. You're an embarrassment to the ministry, sir. Don't come back to you. Stay awake." Well, I appreciated that. I wouldn't fall asleep either. Now, see, you know, now people here's here's other people, religious people. Oh, now we need to have a comeback. We need to be sweet to one another. Well, we. The sweetness was what was being taught. And somebody blowing it off because they wanted to snooze. 
And not only that, Persia was a shepherd. That's why they were there. They were, you know, pastors and shepherds from around America. And Brother Copeland was just, he was just serious about it. He had a better revelation than any of us did, so he realized in teaching it, it was just like being in a covenant ceremony, and he considered, considered it that sacred. And really, every time you come to church, you should. Wonder what had happened if we started thinking like that while well, I'm going to church. Well, God bless you. It's like Normal said. Somebody said, Well, I love the Lord, Brother Normal. Normal Hayes. He says, Bluebirds love the Lord too, lady. Go to catfish. They love the Lord. You know, what's that have to do with anything? It's beyond loving the Lord. It's, be, it's getting into our covenant relationship with Him and understanding what He's really done for us. Am I helping you or are you asleep? You need to drink some coffee if you can't hang with me in this. Or do something, man. Wake up with me a little. Give me some response out there every once in a while that you're getting something. <laughs> he took all the guilt, all the shame. And not just right then when you got saved, he did that. But for the rest of your life, if you'd learn that. You know, when you step out of fellowship with God because you did something you shouldn't have done, or I did something I shouldn't have did, you know, I mean, we can go a lot of areas there, any kind of work of the flesh. But it says, Jesus, your advocate, the righteous, steps in before the Father. Now, wait a minute, Father, wait a minute. We got this covered. Remember my bloodshed right here behind you on the mercy seat. And then he's working on you to get you to come and get confess that, to get back in. Right standing. It's not that you are not a child of God anymore, but you've strained your fellowship. And you know, every time you've ever come back to God, He didn't punish you. He didn't make you do penance. He said, if you'll confess that as sin, acknowledge that you sin, that He would forgive us immediately and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and immediately we come back into our right standing. Man, that's a deal, isn't it? One time I'd done something. I don't remember what it was. I'm not going to tell you if I remember. I won't ask you to come up here and tell us about your life right now, but <laughs> some of your goof-ups. And here I was. I repented and said, Father, I am so sorry. And ten days later, I'm still in the mully grubs. I may know what a mully grub is. Still depressed about it. Still beat up about it. Still feeling tormented about it. Still feeling sorry about it. And so I went to prayer, being a good little trooper I was and am. And I got in prayer, you know, and got a little more intimate with God. And he said, I want to talk to you about something. Boy, when he says that to me, I know I'm, I'm fixing to get straightened up. I said, yes, sir. He said, what are you doing? I know about what? He said, you're walking around with this cloud of darkness and sorrow and grieving and stuff. Didn't, didn't you ask me, ten, and it, it got pointed about, didn't you ask me ten days ago to forgive you about that business? Yes, sir. And he said, then get up and act like it. Did I forgive you? He got stern with me. Well, yes, sir, your word says if I confessed it, I said, you, well, did I? Well, yes, sir, according to the word. And he said, I'd appreciate it if you'd act like I'm not a liar. Walk like you're righteous, because I forgave you when you said it ten days ago, but you allowed the devil to keep you under a cloud now of guilt, and you're negating my blood, you're negating my robe, you're negating everything you said you believed me in my word, and I said I'd forgive you, then act like it. 
message for you. Before I read this verse, I'm going to have to let you go in a minute. I, I'm too wound up to not. To, I don't trust myself. If I don't tie a knot in this and stop in a minute, I'm going to go to midnight with it. I could easily do it. I mean, I got, I got, I'm just on my first page and I'm about that far down. <laughs> Eight and a half by eleven. Here's a question to ask. I'm going to ask you. Wonder what your life would be like in your dominion, your authority, your behavior, your attitude, the way you talk, if you knew you were not guilty of anything at all. Wow, Pastor. He's done stretch me. Oh, I know stretch you a long time ago, but you're, but you're catch on to that now. And it, it takes us some time to maybe walk in. You know, we're, 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 we're endeavoring to get into our fullness of what our covenant is providing. That's what I'm trying to get over to you. Instead of us feeling like we're guilty some days and not so guilty some other days, and maybe every once in a while for an hour we're righteous. See, I know how humans think, and I've been there too. I'm a human being. But see, when God brought me up on that, that's 25 years ago almost. Back in the late 70s, told me, you know, because I've been groping, groping around, you know, feeling sorry for myself, feeling bad, feeling like, you know, whatever. Hallelujah. I mean, I don't know if you ever thought about this. We've got the thief on the cross. He's, he's a criminal. He's a thief, and that's just what it says. It could have been even more than that. But he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, I, I believe you who you say you are, who they said you were, the Messiah. Okay. So he went, he, after Jesus, you know, got out of hell, then he went where Jesus was. Hallelujah. He went into Abraham's bosom that day when he died. And, you know, Jesus was paying the price, but this, the thief, so he immediately went into Abraham's bosom and was comforted and was declared righteous under that old covenant because he had faith in the Messiah that would come. Here he was with the Messiah. Come here, get this. You know, some of these guys that did the miracles in the New Testament, they were the most reputable people. The tax collectors. Bernie Madoff of the day. You think I'm teaching you? I'm not. Rip off people. They're still that way, some of them. Not everybody's that way, but just talking to you. Then Peter and John, they're, they're like bikers, man. They just want to get off a bike and kick somebody's butt. Get out of their boat, they're ready to fight. You, you read about thuns of thunder. You don't call somebody thuns of thunder. Did I say that right? I don't know what I just said. the difference between Larry King and Jesse Ventura. They were like Jesse Ventura. You ever seen him on TV? He's mad at everybody all the time. You know what I mean? It's some kind of conspiracy going on somewhere. Mad about it. Hallelujah. Whatever I said, you got it. <laughs> I'm glad I came first. I'm not sure what I just said. I didn't cuss, did I? Okay, good. Look at Romans 4, 25, 
King James Version and Amplified. I'm going to have to let you go tonight. I don't want to. <laughs> Hallelujah. Word is talking about getting rid of all the guilt and staying rid of it. It says in the, Ampli- I mean, the King James, who was delivered for our offenses, all the things that we had offended God in, and was raised again for our justification. The Greek word there is righteousness. We were raised again and made righteous. But the Amplified even does better. It says this, according to the Amplified, which is according to the Greek, who was betrayed and put to death by Jesus because of our misdeeds and was raised to secure our justification, our acquittal, making our account balance and absolving us from all guilt before God. (laughs) Absolving us from all guilt before God. That's just one issue here. We're talking about the covenant. Removing from us all guilt before God. Let me ask you this. You think Jesus feels at home in the Father's presence? Well, it says as he is, so are we in this world. We're just living on a different dimension in the sense we're still in a physical body on this planet. But we have access to God. We have access to his name. We have access to his word. We have access to his blood. We have access to the Holy Ghost. We have access to the gifts of the Spirit. We have access to the angels. We have access to the throne of God. Hey! And he's absolving us from all guilt, and like in a court case, our acquittal. See, the devil will pound your mind, and some people will help him. Remembering all, listen to me, listen, now listen, I, this is going to be a little strong on you, but you need to get a hold of this. You're acting like the devil when you remind your mate or anybody else about their past mistakes. And you need to stop it before you get in trouble with God. Couples get in fights and they remind each other of all their misgivings and all their goofy deeds. And, yeah, but I remember when you said this and you did that. Yeah, that might be true. But that was then, this is now, and I repented. You better stop throwing up that stuff at people. And even people you don't like, that you'd like to cram that up in their face. Better stop that. They may have repented and got it all right, got it all straightened out since the last time you saw them. You ought to just let that go. You just better take care of your own business. You, you need to keep looking in the mirror yourself. And here's the thing, realizing that God has forgiven us and took away all the guilt and all the whatevers and all the whatevers and all the whatevers and all and the rest of your life, it can get better and sweeter and calmer and peaceful. Woo! Because you have a covenant with Almighty God, and he said, I can swear by no greater Hebrews, I swear by myself. In other words, I swear I'm going to keep this. I'm going to keep this covenant. I keep going like that because I've talked to you about two people standing there making covenant. That's why I'm going like that. And God on his side said, I'll never break it. And Jesus, the man on his side said, I'll never break it. It's harder to get out of this covenant than you might believe. And you might get to heaven and you think, I don't have in the world that they get somebody walk down the road. See, watch yourself. You might get there and say, where's so-and-so? And somebody say, well, he didn't make it. 
covenant that is so strong that it's the power of the blood. I don't think we've ever measured it fully the way God does. The power of that blood. Remember he compared, he said, the blood of Jesus, the sprinkling is better than speaking. It's speaking better than that of Abel. Abel's blood in the ground, his brother murdered him and cried out for vengeance. And God, even in his mercy with a murderer, he marked him. I don't know how he marked him. It just says he put a mark on him. You better not fool with this guy. And said, nobody touched him. But he says, the blood of Jesus speaks better. What is the blood of Jesus speaking? Mercy, mercy. It is called the mercy seat, where the blood is. We have a merciful high priest. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to get better. Amen. You may feel like you have messed up or you have done this or not done that. I don't know whatever your deal is. But listen, begin to trust in the blood covenant. That your high priest who is interceding for you and can save you to the uttermost and the guttermost. <laughs> he's been pleading with the Father and using the blood. And he's a merciful high priest. I've never went to him about anything. And I mean, I've went to him about some things over the years. Almost 40 years now. And I could, I just, my mind was saying, oh my. And he'd say, Michael. Fix it for you. Come here, son. Come here. Come here. Let me love on you a little bit. I know you stumbled and whatever, and disobedience up here, there, whatever. I still love you. I'm not giving up on you. You need to catch hold of that tonight. God is not just waiting for us to step out of line to get us. I mean, if He wanted to get us, we'd all be God. But we need to claim the blood and the covenant, and realize that between the Father and Jesus, the Son, the man Jesus, he's our high priest. And he's our representative before the Father, and he's our advocate if we do miss it. And that verse there says he did what he did on the cross to absolve us of all of our guilt. My, what's your life going to be like after tonight? Now listen to me. Your parents may be critical of you. Teachers may be critical of you. Your faith may be critical of you the rest of their life. I don't know. We live in that old battle axe or that ugly husband. I'm just talking. I don't know what they're acting like when they're not here at church. But Jesus loves you. <laughs> he loves you unconditionally. I can't even say it in English how much mercy is involved in his love for you and me. He's not one to keep you out of anything. Wants to include you tonight in everything. And not only tonight, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, for the rest of eternity. Hallelujah. I hope you got <laughs> I'm thinking, what's the matter with my head? I'm thinking, I'm thinking. You know, at home, when I'm praying and thinking, or whatever, getting ready for this. I prepared some of this in Mexico and some on the plane. Something's a bit bad. I'm thinking I'm going to get to the second page. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you all the great things that he took that besides your guilt, besides the sin and the sin nature, and put a new nature in you and give you a robe of righteousness. The same robe that Jesus is wearing.
sicknesses and gave you his health. He took all your emotional instabilities and gave you a sound mind. Oh, my. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. And, 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 and every, even the thing that you might think of that I'm not mentioning, it's covered. Listen, our Father's thorough. He's called the architect and builder, and architects are thorough. You know that? They put in all the little screws and the things that build stuff and all the wires and all the, you know, they got to plan all that out. They even get it passed by the city. Well, our Heavenly Father, he's got an architectural thinking about him, and he's included everything, not only whatever you've lived through already, whatever you'll live through the rest of your life. God does not throw us away because we make mistakes. God does not punish us. Every, all the, what people think he's put out to punish us for all of our goof-ups. Where we were, would we be? Pe- pe- people, you know, I know Dr. Dufresne, you know, he has had a situation in his life, you know, his wife decided she didn't want to do whatever anymore and left him. And, 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 and fellow preachers were calling, wanting to buy his sound equipment, his chairs for his, what kind of a deal are we living in? Kind of carnal mentality, low life thinking, or the preachers had much less than church people. And if that ministry had been scrapped, think where I would be today. God, God needed Dr. Dufresne to keep on going. I, if it hadn't been for Dr. Sumrall, Brother Hagin, he, he probably never made it. Dr. Sumrall talked kind of stern to him, said, If you back up one inch, he's got you. The devil's got you. And he's told that story how Dr. Sumrall said, you know, me and Norval down here in a certain room in this city, we want you down here. No, I'm not coming. He had the blinds pulled. I'm using this. I want you to hear it. I'm depressed. I'm, I don't even know how I'm going to live through tomorrow. I'm putting my own word on it. He said, no, I've already sent a driver. He'll be knocking any minute. He knocked on the door. And Dr. Frank knew this man. He said, I'll wait. Get your clothes on. We're going to take you down there. Put him on the front row. And he preached right to Dr. Dufresne the whole mess. Dr. Summerall did. I did not quit. I did not quit. I did not quit. And then he said, you come with me. And he said, you're going to come up in my room and sleep up here. And he said, no, no, no. He said, don't you come with me. And his son, they had two beds. His son was sleeping there in the same. He said, you go sleep in the pilot's room. He's got two beds over there. Dr. Dufresne, you stay with me. He said he put his knees up against me in those little spaces between those two double beds. And he said, he put, he said if you back up one inch, the devil's got you. He said, I'm going to pray for you. And when you wake up in the morning, you're going to be different. And he said, like Dr. Summerall would say, be blessed. And he said, I rolled and rattled and shook all night long. And he said, we got up in the morning. He said, we, you know, he took a, he said, go take a shower. And then I came out and Dr. Summerall took one. We went and had breakfast. He said, took my hand. He took my hand like a little boy and walked me around the park a lot. And he said, the birds were different. The sky was bluer. Things were different. See, that's God. wonder how many lives have been aborted because we didn't understand the significance of a merciful and a faithful high priest. Oh, my, my. Let's lift our hands and thank him. Oh, Father, we thank you tonight for the precious covenant of God. And we thank you for Dr. Dr. Dufresne. We thank you for Dr. Summerall, who helped, and Brother Hagen and others. And we thank you for ministries that have been spared and put back in place and kept going because of others that cared and walked like you walked, Father, and walked like
like Jesus would. We thank you for tonight that we stand clean in the blood of Jesus. We're born again and we love you. And if there's sins that need to be confessed, whoever's here, whatever they need to do on their way home or right now under their breath or in their heart, they can be forgiven and cleansed in the blood. We'll wipe that out. And we thank you for it tonight. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And what the blood has done for all of us in such a significant way, a marvelous way, a miraculous way. And did you keep on working with us to help us and, and moving in our life to restore and help us? We're so grateful for you. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. Let's stand up for a minute. Uh, Rochelle, are you here? Come on up here. Rochelle's having some surgery in the morning. Just excuse me a minute. Yeah, coming it's not. <laughs> That's right. I remember I remember a young lady came to my church, no husband, had a little baby. Well, he wasn't a little baby, maybe ten. And Dale and I went to visit her one time. This is a long time ago, thirty years probably maybe. And we, we were trying to encourage her to become a part of our church. And she looked at us and said, you know, you people, you people just keep sleeping. Praise Jesus. I don't know if I can. I said, well, I'm not, I'm not asking you to do that. I mean, that's on your side of you, but we're going to do that because what else is? And you're a young woman, you know, 30 years old, got a 10-year-old son, no husband in, in your life, no man. You know, there was somebody in the life in the background, but I'm, I wasn't criticizing her. I said, you need some help raising your boy. I'm just coming to say we love you and we'd like to help you. Wish she never came back. You know, I hope she got straightened out in a church somewhere. But you know, you know what is there? My wife and I, we, we close friends. I mean, close friends we had back before we came to seminary. Prayed about their babies being born and prayed for them and different things. Prayed about their marriage. And, and did our best to help. We weren't any big deal to, you know, really, we're just their friends. But, and they came to visit one time. He sat in my living room, and he berated me about Jesus. He, he said, man, you've become a fanatic. And he thought he'd hurt my feelings. And I said, well, thank you. And I have. I mean, I was pretty turned on back when you knew me back in Ohio, but I'm even more uh, committed to Jesus today. I don't know what he's expecting me to take him to the Churchill Downs or something. I don't know what he was thinking or go see the colonel. I don't know. But I said, well, I mentioned his name, and I said, well, so-and-so, what, what did those do, sir? I mean, your life was meshed by your own confession before you received Jesus. You received Jesus up at First Baptist just like I did. And we were starting out together. I don't know what the problem is, man. Let Pastor... Let Diana and I encourage you to go further with God, not stop you. I don't know why you're so irritated about it. He just was irritated. He was addicted in my own living room, acting like we put him out because he come to visit. He said, you just want to talk all the time about Jesus. I said, well, I'm not going to apologize for it. You got to. And we loved on him best we knew how and tried to be help to him that weekend. But see, and then later we figured out he was already going to do 
Christians in sin. Things like that. He's been since been restored, remarried in another church. I, you know, whatever. Criticize him. But I'm showing you the importance of the blood. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you for Rochelle. We thank you for supernatural surgery. Thank you for the doctors, nurses, anesthesia, all who tend to her, that with their training and expertise they'll do good. But even beyond that, that Spirit of God will rest on that surgery and direct every step, every every leading they have in the name of Jesus. And she'll come through it and recover supernaturally, we pray, in the mighty, and that'll correct whatever needs to be corrected in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I don't know if there'd be anybody here tonight, but perhaps there's somebody here tonight. I just I want to make this available before I close, and you've been very generous in time. And I, I can't apologize. I'm just wrapped up. Can you tell? Is there anybody here tonight that's never asked Jesus into your heart, or you're confused about it, or you want to make sure that that's in place before we leave? Would you please come down here and stand? Anybody at all that pertains to just being sure? Because the blood is available. And I've already asked you in a minute ago if you had something standing between you and God. Why don't you talk to God about it, either while I'm talking or in the car, on your way home. Don't let it hang on you. Well, Pastor, I just haven't been as committed as I should have been. Well, you know, we've all had moments when maybe we weren't as committed as we should have been. But repent. Leave the blood. Claim victory. Put the covenant into operation for yourself. God's not wanting you to stay out here feeling uh, like you're not qualified or whatever it is that you feel like when that happens. I didn't get to get to, you know, Zechariah 3, the high priest Joshua, he's standing there in filthy garments before the Lord, and Satan there to resist him. And God says to the angel, stand and put fresh garments on him. Put a new mitre, mitre on his head that says holiness unto the Lord as the high priest. And put clean, he put clean garments on him. The angel did. They were, had to have been spiritual garments. He said, if you will keep my covenant, walk in my ways, you'll walk among those that stand here today. In other words, around the angels will be walking. You'll be walking among them. And that's an old covenant, but you see what I'm saying, how much more us. But the clothing change is available Get a hold of that. If you feel like your garments are spotted by the flesh, Jude, it says they're spotted. Revelation 7.14 or 14.7, one of those references, says they dipped their garments in the blood and they were made white. Hallelujah, Brother Billy. How do we say it, Billy? Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's right. Remember, the blood's alive. The blood's available. I hope I've helped you tonight. Now, one last thing before I go. I was looking at the Word today, and it said, Jesus lifted up his hands and blessed them, so I want to do that with you. Would you receive it? Father, I speak your blessing over this congregation. I speak your health and healing over them. I speak your deliverance over them. I speak the power of God over them, the peace of God, good sleep, a quick mind, a sound mind. And everything functioning like it's supposed to in their bodies. For, for the Spirit of God to even bring further revelation of what we've taught tonight, that they are qualified through the blood of Jesus. 
And that we rejoice now for a minute. Let's rejoice in these garments. Father, thank you. Praise you. We rejoice in you that you provided these wonderful garments of salvation. Hallelujah. 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 We thank you and praise you for every garment that's available to us. For the wonderful blood of Jesus and the blood covenant we stand in. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.